Good morning, church. It's good to see you. As we get started, can, can we just, I want to pray for a second. God, we just sang our prayer to you that we need you. <laughs> and it's not a, a it's not a, a, it's not something that we're going to be too prideful to admit, that we need you. We need you in every moment. And so, God, now as we open your word, would you open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to receive what you have for us, to know that even in our weakness, you are strong. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you on this great, great day. It's going to be a beautiful day today. And I know many of you are probably joining us online, so I want to give a special shout out to you because it is the last weekend of spring break. So you might be on vacation or off with your family. Um, I speak for many. Why hasn't spring break spread beyond the education world? <laughs> Seriously, right? Yes, amen, amen. Now, some of you are retired, though, so you're just laughing at the rest of us. But however it is that you are here, I am so glad that you are here today as we open God's word and hear what he has for us. Well, it wasn't a spring break trip, but it was an early spring trip to Granby, Colorado. Uh, the, our family took a few years ago, and it was a place we had never been before. Probably the best family vacation we've had as a family of five. And in preparation, we did the normal stuff. We researched where we want, would want to go and what we would want to do while we were there. And one of the things that I researched was what the drive was going to look like because we were going to drive to get there. Now, growing up in Nickerson, highways look like this. That is what highways look like. And believe it or not, that is more complicated than it was in the 90s when I was driving it. Highways are supposed to be point A, point B, shortest distance possible, go. And so you can imagine what I thought when I saw this section of the road to Granby. That's a disaster. That looks more like intestines than a map. What in the world is that? Now, okay. My Nickerson education did give me some geography, so I do know why it looks the way it does. But no map ever really prepares you for what it's like to actually drive in those mountains. First of all, again, not only are the roads uh, nice and straight, but Nickerson to Hutch, it's pretty flat. <laughs> driving in the mountains, I don't like being two or three feet away from impending doom. That's not my way to go. I don't like that. And while the mountains are absolutely gorgeous, have you noticed how slow travel in the mountains is? That 10-mile drive from Nickerson to Hutch in the mountains is like a 45-minute journey of, yeah, there's the same mountain still. Again, it can be confusing, can it? I mean, can you imagine driving through the mountains without a map? Because over here, you're going north, and I'm trying to get north, and so you turn straight south. That makes no sense to me, and it's confusing. But at the same time, how many of you can relate to this idea that, that life looks a whole lot more like this map than it does the map from Nickerson to Hutch? Now, that, that we make our plans, right? We have our plans and our goals and our ideas about what life is going to look like. And it's point A to point B, shortest distance possible, zip, done. And you don't have to be very old to know it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Um, example, home projects. 
How many of you have started a home project that is the easy, oh, it's really simple. It's not gonna, it'll take me the weekend, maybe the afternoon even. And then six trips later to the home store, right? Am I the only one? No, okay, thank you. Making me feel better. Making me feel better. Pastor Kent talked last week a little bit about persevering through the wilderness. Persevering through the wilderness is hard because the wilderness looks a whole lot more like this than it does the road from Nickerson to Hutch. And it's confusing. It's confusing. Why, why is this happening? What's, what's going on? And it's not always the big gigantic things. Sometimes it's just those things like the home projects. What in the world is going on? Today, as we're going to continue our Mark Matters series, going through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at a time when the disciples were really confused. And in their confusion, Jesus gave them a glimpse of a bigger picture that he had at work that I believe not only helped the disciples, but maybe we can learn something from too as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. This is a passage labeled the Transfiguration. This is a weird passage of Scripture. I, I would have skipped over it and, and as I was reading it when I was younger because it doesn't even feel like it fits within what's going on in the book of Mark. It's, it feels like, uh, like a sci-fi movie. But this, pas- or this uh, account is found in the Gospel of Matthew, it's found in Mark, and it's found in Luke. And not only is it found in three of the four Gospels, but what happens before it and what happens right after it are almost identical. And so that to me communicates, maybe this is something we should look at. Maybe there's something here that I haven't previously seen in it. And so we have been in, I think we were in Mark 4 last week, so we're fast forwarding through a little bit. But what has been happening thus far in Mark is that Jesus has been going around and healing people, doing other miracles, feeding people, and teaching And all the while, the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders has just continued to grow and grow and grow. And we get to Mark 8. And in Mark 8, Jesus asks the disciples two really important questions. The first thing he asks them is, who do people say that I am? And they tell him, well, some are saying you're John the Baptist. Others are saying you're Elijah. And then he asks them a question that I think is probably the most important question that any of us could ever answer. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter, his disciple, speaks up and he says, you are God's Messiah. Good job, Peter. Yes, that is the correct answer. Good for you. And so Jesus goes straight into talking about how he's going to suffer and die and three days later rise again. And Peter Wait, wait, hold on. I just said you're the Messiah. You're the one who's coming to deliver your people. And now you're talking, about, you're talking about death and suffering. No, I'm sorry, Jesus, you're wrong. That probably wasn't Peter's best move. Um, but Jesus puts Peter in his place. And, and then Jesus continues talking and he goes, anybody who wants to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross. That to find your life, you have to lose your life? I mean, the crucifixion hasn't happened yet. The cross is little more than a Roman torture device at this point. This doesn't seem like the journey that the disciples expected to be on. They're confused. They're confused what is going on. Because while Peter was right that Jesus is the Messiah, there were a lot of different ideas of what the Messiah was going to be like. And we can find that in the Gospel of Mark by the way people address Jesus. 
One of the ways people would address Jesus was as the son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. The son of David uh, identifies Jesus from the line of David, King David, the greatest king of Israel. And this idea of Jesus as the son of David probably would have carried with it some, some militaristic overtones to it. That Jesus as our Messiah was going to come and overthrow our Roman oppression. Jesus didn't use that title for himself. He used the title son of man. The son of man identifies more with what the prophets like Ezekiel and Daniel would have described as, as one who would come as the son of man. It's a, it's a very humble title that Jesus would use for himself. And then the third one is son of God or holy one of God. And this one's interesting to me because this is the one that, that, that I think is most easy for us. However, Jesus, uh, God the Father identifies Jesus as his son at his baptism in Mark 1. And in the passage we're going to look at in Mark 9. The only others who identify Jesus as the son of God or as the holy one of God are the demons. But there's one person, one person who identifies Jesus as the son of God. It's the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross as Jesus is breathing his last breath who says, surely this is the son of God. So there are a lot of different ideas about what the Messiah is going to look like. So Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus starts talking about suffering, following him, taking up your cross to lose your life. You find it. This is not the journey they signed up for. So they're confused. And that's where we find ourselves in Mark 9. In Mark 9, beginning in verse 2. It says this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I told you this is a bit strange. So let's, let's look a little bit and break down kind of what's going on. Peter, James, and John, three of Jesus' disciples, Jesus takes them up on a mountain. Anytime we find a mountain in Scripture and people going up the mountain, they're going up for a, a new perspective. A mountain is a place of perspective. Quite literally, it's a place of perspective. But it's also a place of, of receiving a new perspective from God oftentimes. And so they're on this mountain and Jesus, his appearance changes. He's transfigured. He, his, his clothes are white. And we aren't sure what exactly is going on here. Maybe this is a glimpse of, of the heavenly Jesus. Maybe it's the post-resurrection Jesus. It, somehow, Jesus' appearance changes. And then Jesus is talking to Elijah and Moses, which doesn't seem that strange until we remember or find out that Elijah and Moses are no longer alive at this point in time because we thought this needed to get weirder. Why Elijah and Moses? Some scholars will say that, that Elijah represents the prophets, the, the ones who foretold of the Messiah who would come. And, and Moses represents the Old Testament, the law, the Ten Commandments, and that Jesus being there is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Okay, I can take that. 
But I see something else happening here with especially Moses. So I want to look a little bit at Moses and and Jesus because I see some parallels going on. If we look back in the book of Exodus, we find Moses going up a mountain to hear from God. While on the mountain, God's presence descends in the cloud on the mountain. I'm seeing some connections here. But I think there's one even further. In the Gospel of Luke, we, we find out what Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are talking about. Mark doesn't tell us, but, but Luke tells us that they were discussing Jesus' departure. The word departure there is the same word where we get the word exodus. And so what I see happening here is, is we have Moses. And, and Moses, his story is that the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. He is leading Exodus, leading them out of slavery in Egypt. So out of slavery into this wilderness where God is forming for himself a people, a family of God. And at the center of this family of God is the tabernacle that represents the presence of God on the earth. Similarly, we have Jesus. Jesus isn't leading us in an exodus out of Egypt, but he is leading in an exodus out of sin and death. And Jesus is forming a new family or a reformed family of God, a people of God. And at the center of this new family of God is Jesus himself, as the presence of God on earth, as the new temple, as his representation, his representation of Jesus to the world, the body of Christ. Now, as one of my favorite mentor pastor friends likes to say as a transition very eloquently, so what? So what? Okay, so I'm seeing a connection between Moses and between Jesus. I think for us, sometimes we get a very, um, very simplified, just like the disciples were, idea of what Jesus is doing. Because we get this idea that, that what Jesus is doing is he is making a way for us to have a relationship with God. That is absolutely true. Absolutely true. The gospel is nothing less than that. But the cross isn't just a post. The cross has a horizontal bar across it that, that reminds us that not only is God reconciling us with himself, but he's reconciling us with each other. As he draws together his family, his family, his multi-generational, multicultural family of rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Russian, Ukrainian. Uh, he, he brings together this family, this family that really has very little in common other than our confession that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is up to something far bigger than just me and God. It's a bigger picture. And perhaps Peter, Peter's a good Jewish man. Perhaps he saw some of these parallels between, between Jesus and Moses. Perhaps he was seeing some of how, wait a minute, I've seen this picture before. I, I've learned this story before. But we don't really know what or even if Peter is thinking because he tends to ready aim fire. And so Peter is scared. So he says, well, maybe we should stay here. Maybe we should stay right here. This is, there is something significant happening here. And we're scared, but we want to stay right here. And if he was scared already, he's going to be terrified when the presence of God descends like a cloud and then speaks. <laughs> he says, this is my son whom I love. That's exactly what God the Father said at Jesus' baptism back in Mark 1. And then he says, listen to him. Listen to him. What I hear Jesus or what I hear God doing here is confirming that Jesus is not only his son, confirming Jesus' identity, 
But he's also telling the disciples that that journey that Jesus is describing about his suffering, his death, and his rising in three days, that is true. He's not leading you astray. That is true. And so really the first thing that we, we see in this passage, and, and I just want to, I'm not pulling any punches on it. This passage is about Jesus and his identity, who he is. And the disciples are getting a bigger picture of who Jesus is and what he is up to. They're getting a bigger picture of who Jesus is and what he's up to because they've become really hyper-focused on this whole suffering and death thing. I, they, they can see nothing else. It's like, maybe I'll use kids because spouses gets us in trouble. Uh, kids staring at a TV screen and you, you, it's one of those. Jesus has to kind of break the gaze of these disciples. And I find it interesting that Matthew describes Jesus' face as shining like the sun. Shining like the sun, and it took this shining like the sun to break their gaze and, and kind of, whoa, what's going on? Because we usually think of light as revealing things, like the lights that are, are on right here so we can see. But light can also obscure our vision or distract us. I, back to the maps, y'all know which roads to drive at which times of day uh, when the sun is just above the hood and just below the visor. And it doesn't matter how fixed you are on keeping your eyes on that road. Good luck, right? Because the light distracts. It, it disorients our gaze. And that's exactly what the disciples needed in this moment. They're so fixated on this idea of suffering and death. And they need to see the bigger picture. They need to see that the Jesus on the mountain is the same Jesus down in the mess of life. That this glorified Jesus, this, this radiant Jesus is the same one who is the lamb who would be slain. It's the same Jesus. They needed the bigger picture of who Jesus is. They liked the mountaintop Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the conquering king Jesus right there. Shining like the sun. Take that, Romans. That's the Jesus they wanted. And that's the Jesus we like too. We like the mountaintop Jesus, the Jesus that, who blesses us with the good things of life, who, who is, is, is good in all of these ways that make, if we want to admit it, make life a little easier. We like that idea of Jesus. And mountaintops, we like mountaintops too. If you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, I would, I would guess at some point you've probably had some sort of what you would describe as a mountaintop experience. Maybe it was a season of your life. Maybe it was, it was a camp when you were a student or a kid or, or a, a revival service back in the day. Or it was some event or conference or something where, where you just felt like you were meeting God in a really special way. And the, it was transformative. And those mountaintops, are, they're great. If you haven't had that kind of experience, I hope you do. The mountaintop's not a bad place, but it's not where we're supposed to stay. See, I'm... I'm becoming rather convinced that most of the fights and arguments that good followers of Jesus in good churches have are nothing less than trying to recreate a past mountaintop or form a new mountaintop with our own hands. Neither one are good. Because if the mountaintop truly transforms us, we don't need to go back to the mountaintop because Jesus has changed us. And so there, this mountaintop experience, the Jesus on the mountaintop, 
the Jesus you met on that mountaintop. He's the same Jesus who is with you in the mess of life. So who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? That We're getting ready to celebrate Easter. April 17th, we'll have two services at 9.30 and 10.45. You should invite your friends there. Invite cards out in the foyer. A little plug there. You're going to hear that a few times in the next month. We love Easter. We love celebrating the resurrection. It's exciting, right? Good Friday is a little hard. We don't like talking about the suffering and the death. We like talking about the resurrection. And as I've wrestled with this, this text and as I've wrestled with this idea of the journeys that we all end up on in life that, that look like that road to Granby, I'm wondering, does a bigger picture of Jesus make any difference at all? In verse 10 of Mark chapter 9, it says that the disciples are still confused. Now they're not so focused on his death and suffering, but now they're just focused on what does he mean by this rising from the dead? What does he mean by that? And so I I actually kind of like that the disciples are still kind of confused. That whole thing right there is going to make a whole lot of sense down the road once they get to the resurrection. But what this, this, this event does for them is I believe it gives the disciples something to hold on to. Because if you have read beyond where we are in Mark, you know that their journey is going to get harder than they even thought it already was. That they're about to watch Jesus get arrested and beaten and they're all going to scatter and he's going to be crucified and, and they're going to have those dark three days. I can't imagine what those three days were like for the disciples. And then they're going to have the resurrection, but at the same time, their journey is going to get dark. And this, this account, I think for Peter, James, and John, it gave them something to hold on to when that journey got really, really rough. And I think it's very similar for us. That to have a bigger picture of who Jesus is and what he is doing can give us some place to hold on to when that path seems off. And we know we we won't necessarily understand. We won't necessarily understand this side of heaven. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then in heaven, I, I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. We don't see things clearly this side of heaven as much as we want to. And again, it's not just the big things. It's just life in general. We don't understand maybe what's going on. But will we have the faith, the faith like a child to believe that, that even when I don't understand, God is up to something. That God is bigger than, than I can even comprehend and he is up to something far more than I can see. And so I'm going to trust in him. It's confusing. It's hard. And sometimes we get questionable advice. One of my favorites, and, and maybe you've given this advice. If you have, I'm about to make you angry. I love it. Well, everything happens for a reason. Yes, everything might happen for a reason, but sometimes that reason is nothing more than we make really stupid decisions, but that's a whole other message for another day. When people say that, a lot of times what they're meaning is that God caused everything in your life to happen. I cannot find that in here anywhere. I do not believe God caused everything in your life to happen. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world filled with sin, filled with with evil, filled with the brokenness of life, and we're going to sometimes deal with the effects of that. 
But what I do know that God can do is he can redeem those things. He can take those broken things and make them beautiful. Romans 8, 28 puts it this way. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I, I don't know how this works. I absolutely do not know. But when I read that all things, in all things, that I believe that, that means all things. And when I read good, I have to believe that that means good. That doesn't mean I'm going to be really excited about what happened. That doesn't mean I'm going to even see what that good is this side of heaven. But I have to trust and believe that God is working and there is a bigger picture at work than I can see right now. Just as it was for the disciples. That the God on the mountaintop is still the God in the midst of the messes that you and I see. So what do we do in the midst of it? What do we do when we're confused and we're in the midst of it and we're just hoping by faith that, that this is true? Verse 8 in Mark 9, it says this, Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. No one except Jesus. They didn't see anybody else except Jesus. And I think I have used this as a point in every message I have ever shared. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you end up in that switchback, you're going north and all of a sudden you're going directly south and you're going, what in the world is going on? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. His spirit will lead you and he will guide you. When you're trying to, to move forward and you're tempted to look at the mountains on your right or look at the valley on your left, don't look at those. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. When somebody sends you that video from YouTube that's that self-proclaimed prophet who's talking about Russia and Ukraine and how it's the end of the world and signing the pot, no! Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. No one except Jesus. Because in this passage, the disciples are getting a bigger picture of who Jesus is and what he is doing. They're also getting a bigger picture of their role in his kingdom. See, the, the disciples in, in, both, or in all three, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as they come down the mountain, maybe this was your mountaintop experience. You come away from that mountaintop experience and you come down to an easy life. Like life is just so easy now. No, no, that's not the way that works. You come down into the mess of life. And that's exactly what we find in all three of those gospels that have this account in it. The disciples come down the mountain with Jesus and they're immediately in a crowd of people. The disciples that have remained are trying to cast a demon out of a boy. They can't do it. I imagine the crowd's probably kind of getting a little antsy and, and, and pushing on them. Jesus steps in. He casts the demon out of the boy. And then he starts talking about his suffering and death again. And I wonder if at this point, Peter... He's going, see, guys, this is what I wanted to stay on the mountain. This is what I wanted to stay on the mountain because I didn't want to come back down here to the mess. I didn't want to come back down here. It would have been a far easier for them to stay on that mountain. But what was true on the mountain was true down in the mess. It's the same Jesus. And it would have been easier for them to stay on that mountain. But that mountain was not their place in God's kingdom. And it's not ours either talked about Romans 8, 28. 
and my own personal experience with this one, and this one's a little heavier. Between our two girls, Kelly and I experienced three miscarriages. The first one, oh, that, it was a gut punch. It was so hard. The second and the third ones, they just felt cruel. I remember walking our dog and I'm just screaming inside. And I, I would not wish that on anybody. And I'm not grateful for that. But what I am grateful for is the good that I've seen God do in the midst of it and from it. What God has done from that, I will tell you, our marriage is stronger because we walk through that together. Our relationship with God is stronger because we walk through that together and with him. And I'm not sure that, that my wife would have been part of the, the late group of ladies that started Embrace Grace here at Hutch First Nance if it wasn't for that experience. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I wish I hadn't gone through that. I wish we hadn't had to walk through that but I'm so thankful for the good that I've seen because we serve a God who will often take the pain that we've experienced in life and turn it into a platform to show his goodness and to help other people. Those greatest fears that we have, those things that, that we don't think we can do, God can use those fears and create out of them a chance to display his faithfulness and his goodness. See, the disciples needed a bigger picture at what was going, of what was going on. See, there's more going on than you and I can see or comprehend. Again, Paul, and this time in 2 Corinthians, says, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We're all being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a bigger picture at work. And that bigger picture that is at work is that God is making us more and more like him. As we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we keep our eyes on him, we keep looking to him, we become more and more like him. And yeah, we know the bigger picture of Jesus. That involves suffering. That involves some wildernesses that we go through. But that also involves resurrection and the hope of glory and the hope of eternity with him. And so there's a bigger picture at work. We are being made more and more like him. See, our, our place in God's kingdom isn't up on the mountaintop. Our place in God's kingdom is to take what we have learned in the mountaintop about what is true about Jesus, what is true about the God that we serve, and to bring it down into the messes of life and say, this, is, what was true there is true right here, that the God who is with me there is the God who is with me and with you right there in the midst of the mess that you are going through right now. And see, I, th I think some, some of us who are, are, are hearing this right now, I think you can... It may not be a gigantic story, but I believe you right now might even have an idea of where it is in your life that God has taken something and turned it for good. It's time for you to allow him to take that pain and use it as a platform for his goodness and to help others. <clears throat> to know that we have a place in the kingdom of God, this family, this beautiful family of God. So who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? Is he just the, the God we, we worship on a Sunday that we sing about on a Sunday? Or is, is he just a life coach? 
That's a popular look at, at Jesus. He's a life coach. He has good teachings that help us, help us live a good life, a good moral life. Or is Jesus the one who put on flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died a death he did not deserve that we did so that we could be made right with God, that we could be in relationship with God and brought into this beautiful, messy, diverse family of God. So who is Jesus to you? And do you see your place in his kingdom? Where, are, where, where do you see yourself in his kingdom? Perhaps for you, you're hearing this and you're thinking, I, I need to get my eyes on Jesus. That I've been overwhelmed by, by the questions and the confusion and I, I've got my eyes so fixed on, on trying to figure things out. I get that, I am a problem solver at heart. I wanna solve the problem. But God is up to something. He's making us more and more like him. The God on that mountaintop is still the same God down in the mess of life. And you and I have a place in that kingdom, in, in that place to, to see heaven invade the earth, to see his kingdom come, his will be done right here in Hutchinson as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are bigger than we know. You are bigger than, than, than we have allowed you to be. We, forgive us for the times we tried to put you in a box of what you can do and who you are and who we are because of it. God, when the road gets, gets weird, when the journey gets really hard or it, gets, it starts to curve. And, and again, maybe not even the gigantic things, but God, when we're just wondering what in the world is going on, God, would you break our gaze from the things that surround us and would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to keep our eyes there? God, I know as, as I've been sharing this, I know that that there are some, some people in this room, people watching online who are, who are going through the thick of it. And God, I wish I could take away every one of those things. But God, in the midst of it, I, I know I am not God, you are. And God, we, we're gonna trust by faith that, that even when the road seems out of control, that you are with us. That even when we can't see what's going on, that, that if we'll keep our eyes fixed on you, anchor ourselves to who you are, that there is a resurrection that's coming. There is a hope that is coming. That the story is not over that there is no, no, no roadblock that is too great for you. There is no challenge that we face that is, that is more than you could ever guide us through. There is nothing in this world that could keep us from you. There is nowhere we could go off the path that we would be so far away that we could be out of your reach. 
so God, help us to trust. Help us to have the faith that we need to know that you are up to something bigger, that you as the God on the mountaintop are the same one who is down in the mess with us. And help us to help others to use the pain that we've experienced, the things that we've experienced in life, to help others come to faith and hope and trust in you. That your kingdom will come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we wait for that day when we know that we will see every tear wiped from our eye, that we will see your glory. We will behold you, our radiant Savior. God, I pray for those who don't, who don't yet have a relationship with you, who know that they, they need to be a part of this family of God. They need to, to connect with you. They need to be reconciled with you, made right with you to begin that relationship. God, I pray that today would be the day that they say, no, no, I'm gonna turn from the way I've been going. I've been going the wrong way, but I'm gonna go your way. Even when the way seems like it's going all over the place, I'm gonna go your way, Jesus, because you are the one who is bigger who is greater and who holds all things together. We praise you, our Savior, our King. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.